The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Big Daddy Carter. Oh, yeah. Man, I oh, wanted to do I, get you I figured you'd do like a turkey thing. But is it a holiday? <laughs> Is this going to be a? This I is part one of our holiday edition. It'll oh. be released over the holiday. I'm not it, sure how holiday centric it is. Well, but. actually, you know, it is definitely holiday centric because it's about you know our nation's <laughs> founding and all that stuff. Anyway, Sarita the Edge Edgerton. Hey y'all! Behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop, Pekel, straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks, represent, and for our holiday edition. <laughs> My wife Holly is here. Gobble, 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 Yeah, yeah. So Thanksgiving is on the way. Uh, it'll be here next week. I got my time. fat pants on. Yeah, man. So bring your eating pants. That's all I have. So y'all just shut your mouth. <laughs> and but um, so Rick Carter and Ralph Hicks and myself drove down and uh, met with Gary Demar. He invited us in his home, and uh, we set up the cameras and. Uh, I had read his book, A Case for America's Christian Heritage, and uh, you guys obviously know when we come around Thanksgiving, I like to look at the beginning of our nation's history. And so I had read that book, and um, I just wanted to talk to him about it. I was really interested in how, uh, you know, and why he, why he wrote the book to begin with, and he does share that in this first episode, and we go through several things. So this is a two-parter. The second part will land on Thanksgiving Day. So I hope you guys enjoy this, and we'll talk to you at the end of it. So I'm sitting here with Gary DeMar of American Vision, and I first want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast again. Uh, the last time you were on, it caused us some issues uh, also. Cost, cost me quite a few, actually. <laughs> Got me in, wrote me into And it was this. not our intention whatsoever, whatsoever. But, um, you know, I, I had mentioned that I'd read Last Day's Madness, and how it had changed my worldview. And so that's why I wanted to meet you. And thankfully, Bob Cruikshank had introduced us. And so you came, which I think was very gracious. And I thank you for giving you, for giving me your time today. Um, I read your book, The Case for American Christian Heritage. And yet again, you have helped shape and change my worldview. I've, I've said many times on our podcast that we do not live in a Christian nation, although uh, I think that it has changed. Uh, we definitely, our, our foundation in our country was absolutely Christian and throughout the years remained so. And the secularists did move in. And I remember Obama saying that we were formerly a Christian nation. Now we're sort of an amalgam right. of uh, right. different religions. And I understand that. However, I think in your book, you make a great case that our heritage is key to our success as a nation. At least I believe that. And um, so thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for coming to my home. And yeah, this is this. very cool. You have yeah. a very beautiful home. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for In having fact, me here. My, my, my wife, uh, you know, it's 
Yes. Give, me, give me a room and a study and a bunch of books, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'll this stay is her, in the- this is her touch. Yes, absolutely. She's done a beautiful job. It, it, it's wonderful here. And for those who are uh, listening to our podcast, they know that we're audio only. But uh, we are shooting a video, which is kind of unique. We've got lights, camera, action on us here. So I think uh, Mr. Tomorrow will be releasing that somewhere, I guess, on American Vision or whatever right. at some point. Yes. Yeah, very good. So I want to start out with this. So we are talking about your book, The Case for America's Christian Heritage. And I wanted to bring out something that I read in chapter two and then let you tell me how you even came to write this okay. book. Sure. So you say, quote, knowing where to begin a study of a subject is often elusive. How far back do you go in history to say that it all begins here? In his book, Meet You in Hell, a telling of the partnership and rivalry between steel magnates Andrew Carnegie and Henry Clay Frick, Les Standiford writes, as is always the case when tracing history, there is no stopping anywhere. Truly, for seeking out first causes is something like following the warp and weft of an enormous knitted sweater. Pulling one string always bunches up another, and smoothing that only leads to the knot in the next. The same is true for determining the actual starting point of America's founding. Our nation begins not in 1776, but more than 150 years earlier, end quote. And I agree wholeheartedly with your point. Where does it all start, right? So I learned that in the Bible. Even in the Bible, as an early Christian, I was told to read the New Testament when I first became a believer. But as I grew in my faith, I learned that what I was being taught in the New Testament, I had to have the core and the whole of the Old Testament to understand it. Yeah, when someone says they're a a New Testament Christian, and right. I think, well, wait a minute, uh, the very fact that you used the word testament, now you have to ask the question, what is a testament, mm-hmm. and was there a previous testament, what makes this testament different, right. and all the history involved with it all. I mean, you, no, no one, no Christian can claim to be a New Testament-only Christian, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing historically in terms of the founding of, of uh, well, Founding of the Americas and the founding of the founding of the United States uh, goes back a lot earlier than 1776, and even earlier than 1607, with you know with Jamestown and 1620 with the Massachusetts Bay Colony, because that worldview grew out of something that was predominant in Europe at that particular period of time, especially in in, in Great Britain. And so, do you go back you know to the Reformation, uh, which you know. 1517, you know, Martin Luther. I mean, you can keep going back. Uh, I didn't go back that far. Uh, I basically assumed uh, an already existing history uh, that uh, took time to develop and had uh, not only theological and political and social consequences, but consequences related to the topic of Christendom. How far is the impact, how, what, what impact does a biblical worldview have on things beyond personal salvation? Mm-hmm. And you study the history of the United States, especially the early documents and people, why they came over here, that's, that's foundational to understand the, the development of our nation and where we are today. Sure. And that's, which brings me to what, when I read this book, the amount of research that you had, you were just speaking off the cuff just now about Jamestown and the Massachusetts Bay Colony. When I was reading your book, you were going through like the constitution or the charters of each state or each colony that became a state into its own constitution. That took a lot of work. And in every one of those cases, 
God was mentioned. Oh, yeah. And so I was curious, what brought you to write this book in the first place? Like, I'm glad that you did, but so how did you get to that? Well, I, I graduated from seminary in 1979. This was during the, the Carter ad- administration. And Jimmy Carter came in as a born-again Christian, which was something new to the media. Uh, and I, I was raised Roman Catholic in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you mentioned Carnegie and Frick. I mean, those were two guys in, in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And we, no one ever talked about being born again. That just wasn't, that wasn't part of the vocabulary. Uh, and we really didn't talk much about religious specifics. We all went to church. We all considered ourselves, I guess, Christians for the most part. Even the one fellow down the street from us who was Jewish we all shared the same the same values, uh, and so so through Jimmy Carter's administration, he was he was touted as a born again Christian Southern Southern Baptist, or at least a Baptist. I'm not real sure. Uh, the Southern Baptists were going through some growing pains at that particular period of time as well. And Ronald Reagan comes along and he starts quoting the Bible. Uh, you know, we're sitting on a hill. Goes you know goes into, into the New Testament and brings that up and says, this is what America was founded as. And so he, it was kind of a wedge issue with with Ronald Reagan. And the media didn't know how to deal with that either. Because again, 1960, it was a big deal that a Roman Catholic was running for president, JFK. I mean, that was a huge, huge deal Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of anti-Roman Catholicism in the United States. And the question was, Will America be do- uh, dominated and governed by the Vatican? Will and so JFK had to get up and you know assure people that was never going to be the case. Mitt Romney had to do the same thing because of it when he ran for president as a Mormon. As a Mormon, right? So these Senator Orrin Hatch was right, another right, uh, yeah, right, uh, another Pittsburgh guy actually. Uh, and the, so you, all of these questions you see were were, were brewing. Uh, but e- even with all with all of this, America was fundamentally Christian, uh, even though people didn't really specifically talk about it. There was, I, I would call it a spillover effect. Christianity was so dominant in the colonies and later on state constitutions and so forth uh, that it permeated the society uh, without necessarily acknowledging where it all came from. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I'm an apologist, not that I apologize for things, but I'm, I'm in the kind of in the defense business. That's, that's what the Greek word apologia, apologia means. It means to offer a defense. And so as questions were coming out, I felt I needed to address this topic. And so the first book I wrote was in 1982, uh, which became the first volume of God and Government. And I had one chapter in there in the, in the Christian history of the United States. And we produced a short audio uh, called The American Vision 360 Years Later and took us all the way back to Christopher Columbus and in, in like 35 minutes, we traced America's Christian heritage in that tape. I won an Angel Award, actually. Uh, rigid, uh, voice talents, music, sound effects, and so forth. It was recorded in New York and we, we still offer that today. So this was, I, I needed to deal with some of the secular arguments that that were being made, and my first introduction to that was with um, this, you know, the first volume of God and God and Government. Mm-hmm. Then, 
with that, I kind of was known you know, for America's Christian history, and I got a call from a um, local uh, public broadcasting statement here, station here in the Atlanta area. They wanted me to come down. Not so much a debate, but it was uh, more of a, um, a sit-down with some <laughs> ACLU hmm. attorneys, and it was around Thanksgiving. Um, and I jumped at the chance, and I'm gonna pull this, this, this out here. I brought, I brought this, book, this book with me. It's called The Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States. And it was uh, put together by a man named B.F. Morris in 1864. And this is, at the time... And for those who are listening and can't see this, this is a very large compendium. Oh, and that's very small print. Very small print. Let me see how many pages this is. Uh, (laughs) It's it's almost 900 pages. Wow. And this, remember, this is all done. This is almost, I'm going to say, 80% original source documentation of America's Christian heritage. Hmm. And this was done before, you know, 1864. No internet, uh, you know, no word processing, no, no, no one's photographing anything. This was a monumental project. And over the years, I would get uh, pictures from people who say, oh, I was in Grover Cleveland's uh, library, and this, this book was, is, was in, on the shelf. I've gotten two or three pictures from, uh, from people who have seen this book elsewhere. At the time, this book did not exist for the general public in a hardback version of it. Hmm. And so we, republic, we republished this. Uh, and you can get this on American Vision. You get this on American Vision. It's called The Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States. And it is uh, over a thousand pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes a great doorstop if you're interested on the utilitarian <laughs> uh, effect of this. Uh, but it is just filled with original source documents. The only thing I criticize about this book is um, much of this is not footnoted. Hmm. I'd love to, somebody to you know, take the time and spend a year or so just tracking down all, all the footnotes. But so anyway, I, so I go to this, this uh, powwow with these ACLU attorneys, and um, I had no idea what was, what was going to happen. But I knew, it, I knew a lot you know, back in the 1980s about a lot of this because I had done a lot of research. And I took this, this Xerox copy uh, with me. And I just held it on my lap. And I would just, and when you're, you're doing kind of a debate, you can't cover everything. Sure. So all I said was, look, until you can answer the content of this book, you don't have a case. And they said, well, what is this book? And I said, it's Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States, published in 1864 uh, by B.F. Morris. And they had never heard of the book either. And so this was kind of my introduction into this, this particular topic. But I wanted to do original source documentation. I wanted to say, hey, well, so-and-so said this, but where did he say it? Did he really say that? Mm-hmm. And so the first, the first book I wrote on this was America's Christian History. And then I was asked by um, Dr. D. James Kennedy, who was the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Uh, Which you went to. You told us that in your testimony. Yes. Yeah, I went, you I went, went to, to that church. I went to Coral, Coral Ridge, and uh, it was uh, went to seminary from there and became pretty good friends with D. James Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to do this 
kind of short, short version of America's Christian uh, heritage. So I was a member, a member of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Dr. D. James Kennedy was the pastor, and he was a big worldview guy. Mm-hmm. A great, great preacher. If you've ever been to Fort Lauderdale, you'll see this, um, this massive, very, very tall, steeple church on uh, North Federal Highway, 5555 North Federal Highway. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would often give sermons on America's Christian heritage and so forth. Um, and by this time, I had written fairly extensively on it. On one book I did was America's Christian History, The Untold, the Untold Story. Uh, and then I did a kind of a shortened volume called America's Christian Heritage, and it was full color and so forth. So I wanted to do something that brought together these, these, these books I had done uh, in a way that was accessible to the average reader. And the high school kids and parents, they could sit down with their children, go through all this. And so we did this, The Case for America's Christian Heritage, which is a full color uh, telling the story of America's Christian heritage. Um, footnoted, you know, everything in here is, you know, takes you back to original sources, which you have to do today. Always, any, anytime anybody's doing anything on any topic, you always want to go back and you know, ask the question, where is that found? Mm-hmm. What, what's the context for this? And I remember doing a um, debate with a fellow named uh, Edward Tabosh on America's Christian heritage. And when I prepare for something like that, I put a big notebook together because you never know what you're going to be asked. And he brought up, he gave this quotation. And I said, oh, I remember that quotation. So I turned my, my, uh, my notebook and I said, well, let me, re- let me read to you the next paragraph that Mr. Tabosh failed to read. And I read that next paragraph and it just refuted what he had to say. Oh, wow. Con- context, context is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Bible, you, know, you, could, you can string a bunch of verses together and come up with, you know, something completely different from what the Bible actually says. Yeah, you says. did one fun during your testimony about Judas. Uh, yeah, see, Judas went out and hanged himself. Uh, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> whatever you do quickly, whatever, yeah. whatever you do, do it quickly, <laughs> for there is no God. Yeah, let's string those together. Right, They're all, all, those are all four Bible, Bible passages. Right. Well, you, we will hear, we'll probably talk a little bit about this. Uh, oh, the Constitution uh, mentions there's a separation between church and state. I mean, how many times have we, have we heard that? Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, or the, the Treaty of Tripoli uh, says uh, the, uh, the United States wasn't founded upon the Christian, in no way was founded upon the Christian religion. Hmm. Uh, so you've got to go back. And, and the Bible says, well, you're not supposed to judge. You know, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says you're not supposed to judge. But verse 2 says, well, it's not that you don't judge, but make sure you're consistent in your judging. Hmm. So this happens in, in everything, and it also happens dealing with America's Christian heritage. Mm-hmm. It deals with going back and looking at original source documents and see what they say about this particular topic. Now, at the same time, we have to be fair. We have to be accurate. Uh, so if someone says, well, we were a Christian nation, and someone says, well, you really you were not a Christian nation. So you, you have to define your terms. What, what do you mean by that? In fact, there was a a book that was written, I think it was 1905, by a Supreme Court justice, David Brewer, hmm. which title of it is The United States, a Christian Nation. And he was a Supreme Court justice who ruled on a couple of cases dealing with America's Christian heritage. In that book, he says, look, when you look at the original source documents, you can't come to any other conclusion that foundationally Christianity was the basis of the founding of the United States. 
and it was the founding of the colonial era. You go back to the, you know, the New England, New England Charter, you go back to Mayflower Compact, if you look at Jamestown, they were specifically Christian. They, they weren't generally religious, they were specifically Christian. And, but at the same time, there was a, an enlightenment entry into all of this, and we have to keep that in mind as well, because not all, all of the founders, at least the constitutional framers, we would call Christian. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is a perfect, perfect example of that. Benjamin Franklin is, is another one. Although it was Benjamin Franklin who stood up at the Constitutional Convention and says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it from Psalm 127. He says, if we, yes. if we, don't, follow, if we don't follow that, we will do no better than the builders of Babel. Yeah, and this was in 1787 when they were right when they were putting 1787 it, they were putting it together right. and they were having all these problems and Franklin stands up and here's a man supposedly of the Enlightenment or at least that's what we hear but he was on the right side of the Enlightenment and he brings in this we haven't we used to pray I think he you put it in your book he says that there was a time whenever where we were at war where we would be in this very room and we would pray oh, to I, I, this right. yes. yeah. There, yeah. there are these, you know, a, a prayer, um, calls for prayer and thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh, were put out by almost all, all the presidents, early presidents, mm-hmm. and many of them are specifically Christian. Mm-hmm. Mentioned Jesus Christ, mentioned the Holy Spirit, mentioned repentance, and so forth. And so th- that's that's all documented. I mean, there's no way of getting around that. But at the same time, there still was this Enlightenment entry coming in. It was popular at that time. But among the founders, as far as I know, there was no atheist. I mean, Thomas Jefferson was not a Christian, uh, but he was no atheist. No. Um, and the Declaration of Independence, in, in one respect, is more religious than the Constitution of the United States. But you can't understand the Constitution of the United States unless you understand the Declaration of Independence. And the two are actually wedded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can we, maybe when we get to the, the, the dating of, the, of the, the Constitution of the United States, when you read the kind of the tagline at the bottom, it links it to the Declaration of Independence. We are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Mm-hmm. State doesn't give us those rights. Creator gave us those rights. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that the founders agreed on, that God was the one who gave us these rights. That this, it's not the, the, the privilege or the authority of the, of the civil, civil magistrate to give us rights. The civil magistrate was to um, protect those rights. And that's why we write constitutions. And it was Thomas Jefferson said, you know, we need to chain people down to the Constitution so they don't go in there and create, and create government in terms of uh, of, of power and authority and money, which we have today, because we've gotten away from this transcendental belief that God exists, given us, has given us laws, and we no longer have an ultimate authority. All of those founders, I mean, all of them, there may have been one or two, but um, all of, the, all of the, the original founders believed that God was the fundamental giver of all these rights, mm-hmm. even though they may not have been Christians, even including you know, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. Sure. So from... You know, Thomas Jefferson to, uh, you know, Paine, uh, you, you find this, this idea of, uh, you know, Thomas Paine came out with his book, Common Sense. And Common Sense was used f- for this, the break with Great Britain. And the arguments that Thomas Paine used in his book, Common Sense, he made two biblical arguments. One based upon 1 Samuel chapter 8 
and the other one on uh, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So from both the Old, Old Testament and the New Testament, you had Thomas Paine making a biblical argument for separation from Great Britain. And some have said if Thomas Paine hadn't written common sense, there wouldn't have been a legitimacy to the fact of breaking away from, from, uh, from Great Britain. But because he had quoted the Bible, we could, you could make, make the justification for it. Mm-hmm. But then later on, he comes out with his book, The Age of Reason, and pretty essentially you know, dismissed that and said biblical revelation was wrong and all that. Mm-hmm. But he made the case initially for it on, based upon the Bible. Uh, and he, and the, the interesting thing, Thomas Paine uh, was not well regarded after that. Uh, hardly anybody ever went to his funeral. He was called a blackguard by, I think it was John Adams, mm-hmm. uh, because he had just gone in a completely different direction. And there was a, a book that came out in response to um, his age of uh, reason. And it was Thomas uh, Elias Boudinot who came out with a book called The Age of Revelation. The age of reason uh, shown to be an age of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And Mer- American Vision has published that as well. So here you have the eight, 18th century, a lot going on. And while not everyone was a Christian, while the Enlightenment had made inroads into the founding, uh, some of the founding documents and so forth, fundamentally, Christianity prevailed everywhere. To the point today, if you pick up every Constitution, you will find a reference to God, Almighty God being the one, I think, uh, that's the phrase that's used more than any other, any other phrase, all, all 50 of them. Mm-hmm. And so when the ACLU or Americans United for Separation of Church and State come into a school system and say, hey, you can't, you can't pray or you can't mention God in the classroom and so forth, the constitutions of those states say otherwise. And it's interesting you will find states not willing to take a stand in this, in this area. Part mm-hmm. of the reason is it costs money. The ACLU comes in with all their lawyers and forces this compliance, and then they say, well, it's gonna cost us 100,000 or $200,000 to, to you know, defend this, and school budgets are low, and so there's no defense that takes place. And so this is, this is where we are today. People generally don't have a, uh, an understanding of America's Christian heritage. It's not in their schools, it's not in the textbooks. Um, there's a lot of fiction in textbooks. For example, there was a, a criticism regarding Christianity because, oh, Christopher Columbus uh, made his, his, uh, his, his voyages because he wanted to prove that the world was round where everybody in that day believed that the, the world was, was flat. And this was a belief that Christians believed that the world was flat and Columbus came along and said, "We're gonna. I'm gonna prove that the, the the world was wrong." That's just complete fiction. Yeah, none of that. None of that is real. I know. You go back and you and you look <laughs> and you look at the the standard uh, uh, scientific uh, historians of that day, Encyclopedia Britannica, and so forth. You will find that this this flat Earth myth was part of was was in all that, and these these two particular. Um, uh, Secularists wrote these these books dealing with uh, the relationship between Christianity and science, and brought up the the um, you know the flat Earth myth to them all. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in school, that was that's what they were they were the kids were taught. Oh, it was it was bad in those days, and you couldn't people thought they were going to fall off the, the face of the earth and all that. Just was not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the problem was in that and in, in, in shipping is that once you lost sight of land. You had to navigate by 
other means and the stars and so forth, which Columbus, in fact, did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of this uh, you know, culminated in me sitting down and saying, well, let me work through the truth about America's Christian heritage without dismissing the fact that not everyone was a Christian mm-hmm. and some enlightenment principles have entered into our, into our history. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to deal with the fact that the Constitution of the United States um, is different from the state constitutions because God is not mentioned directly in the preamble to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there are a couple of things within the Constitution that are specifically Christian, you get a couple of ideas. They had to, the debts had to be paid by the states in terms of gold and silver. That's a biblical idea. Two witnesses in a trial, biblical idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunday is set aside as a day of rest for the President of the United States. A lot of people didn't know that. It's written into the Constitution of the United States that the President of the United States has 10 days in order to evaluate a bill that comes before him from Congress. And he has 10 days in order to make a decision. But Sundays are accepted. Hmm. That is, Sundays don't count. The reason is is because Sunday was set set aside as a day of rest for Christianity. It's not Friday, it's not Saturday, it's Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then the Constitution ends with, this was done in the year of our Lord, 1787. Right, acknowledging the year of our Lord. Yeah, Hmm. and people say, oh, and you'll see the ACLU and others, you know, say, look, that was just, that was conventional for the time. And I agree, it was yep. conventional for the time. And I think that's the point. That's you, yeah, yeah. You, you've hit the proverbial point. Right, yeah. and the reason, the reason it was put in there because it was standard on all documents and it wasn't standard on all documents because, oh, what's just put this in there? People really believed that that was fundamental to uh, how, we, how the nation should be grounded. It was a transcendental uh, external authority in terms of how a nation should live. And the reason it's, it's so important to bring that up about done in the year of our Lord, 1787, is to compare it with the French Revolution. Because mm-hmm. the French Revolution pretty much took, took place at the same time. Uh, but that revolution- You cover that pretty well in your book. You talk yes, about- Yes, I do. How, how de- in, in, in this book that we're talking about, you mention that what's going on over in France at this time. And it is radically different. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the French Revolution- they were, in fact, children of the Enlightenment, mm-hmm. so much so that they wanted to get rid of everything related to Christianity. They were so enlightened, they wanted to cut everybody's head off with a guillotine. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, and, and it, was, it was a spectacle. It was entertainment. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, where people would go to the town square, and they would sit, and the women would, would, would knit while they're watching, you know, bringing anybody related to the king, even, even a cook, or somebody who shined the shoes of a king would be brought and be executed by by the guillotine, uh, and so that didn't happen. And that didn't happen in the in, in the in the colonies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and another thing related to done in the year of our Lord, uh, one thousand seven hundred eighty-seven, was the the and the also done the, the, the Sunday being set, Sunday being set aside as a day of rest for the president of the United States. The French actually restarted the calendar with a year one. <laughs> I read that. Yeah. That sounds really confusing to me. It, it is. Yeah. In fact, if you, you, put, a, you put a side-by-side comparison oh, in the illustrated issue. Right. And they, they, they went from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. Day, yeah. <laughs> uh, completely renamed everything, although the, the, the uh, names of the, the, the days of the week for us 
really aren't you know, biblical other than you know the first day of the week. But you know Sunday's named after you know the sun, and uh, you've got the moon, you know, uh, Monday named after the moon. You got mm-hmm. Thor's day named after Thor, and so forth. So there still are a lot of these other elements that in, in our culture. Uh, but no one believed in these ancient gods as the result of the, the calendar. But the French made it a real specific idea. Start off with a brand new year one, restart the, the week calendar with a, with a 10-day week. Can you imagine a 10-day week? Yeah. Today, you might be working seven days and then you get I mean, as an employer, off. that sounds awesome, but I would... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, no, but... And, 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 and the, thing, the thing is, uh, they had to... They had to create complementary calendars in order to figure out where you were mm-hmm. in this, the rest of the world, because almost everybody else in the world was dealing with this you know, seven, seven day week. Mm-hmm. They elevated reason as a god. They took this prostitute, uh, dressed her up in, in Roman garb, mm-hmm. and marched her to the Cathedral of Notre Dame and declared reason to be the, their, their goddess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so much different from the, from the Americas and they had the guillotine. Their blood literally ran in, in the streets. Uh, that did not happen in, in, the, in the colonies at that time. Now, we can debate about the, the, uh, the war for independence. Maybe that wasn't the, the best way to go, but it was nothing like what took place in France. France. And, and over time, of course, they got rid of the, the, uh, the calendar. They got rid of the, um, or they also got rid of the guillotine. Yeah. Uh, but they, they went back to a seven-day week, and they mm-hmm. went back to the basic calendar, the 12-month calendar that we have today. Mm-hmm. I wanted to – something that you'd said in your book, and this is a quote, because I want to get – now we understand the background of why you wrote the book, or like what brought you to write the book. But you said here, quote, if we are ever to restore what is about to be lost, we will need to learn the truth about our nation's founding. A look at some of the earliest colonies is a good starting point, end quote. And I liked what you said there, if we are ever to restore, because we have lost a lot. Right, we have, yes. And so I wanted to I wanted to look just a little bit at the early colonies. Not a lot, but just a little bit, especially John Smith. is something that I did not know that I learned here. And I say, uh, your recognition of what is about to be lost is paramount, and we are in fact about to lose what our founding fathers fought so hard to bring into being. But one of the key things that I took away from the Virginia colony at Jamestown was when John Smith became president of the colony on September 10th, 1608, and required greater discipline of the colonists, announcing a policy based on 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that, quote, he that will not work shall not eat, except by sickness or he be disabled. And there, and here's why. This was so fascinating. The colonists were preoccupied with digging for gold. Yeah. Like they, they, they weren't feeding themselves. They were out there digging for gold because they, I guess they had gold fever. Well, what's, okay, you have to remember that there were, there were different reasons why people were coming to the colonies. Mm-hmm. And there were different types of people who were coming to the colonies. Mm-hmm. Not all of them were Christians on, say, the, uh, the, on the uh, Mayflower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and also, anytime, anytime a, um, an expedition is funded by the government, mm-hmm. the king gets his fifth. He gets his twenty percent. Mm. So there was a lot. There was a lot of there were a lot of secularists, you know, just downright criminals or criminal-like people that came over as well. Uh, and uh, you know, some of these some of these um, these expeditions were subsidized to a certain extent. But they some of the colonists had to make money in order to 
you know, send it back, you know, to the to the king. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you'll find the same type of thing with with William Bradford. Uh, they had they had started their colony, and it was a socialistic colony. And as a result, what happens in a socialistic colony? Some people work, some people don't work. Mm-hmm. But the problem was is that the people who didn't work were getting the same the same fruit of everyone else's work, and that didn't last long because the people were who were working studiously and they were working with hard work, all their family members were bringing in a lot and their other, you know, some of their compatriots are over, they're not doing anything, but they were getting the same amount. And so these people said, well, we're not gonna work as hard as we thought we would, when we were working before because we're not getting the fruit of our labor. So that almost killed that particular colony as well. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Gary DeMar just said Christian and so Christianity and socialism do not work. They do not. They, they do, do not, not work, work. And I agree with you on that. <laughs> and you'll 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 find I've, you always hear this story about a uh, you know, teachers and professors uh, saying, "Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to we're going to have a test, and we're just going to average. We're going to average the grades. Mm. And so the people who are getting A's and people who are getting B's and C's and D's, we're gonna take those all together. So like a four, three, two, one, we're gonna take all those and we're gonna average those. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's gonna get the same grade. Well, the people who were studying to get A's and people who were studying to get B's decided, well, I'm not gonna study as, more, as much because I'm just gonna get the same grade as everyone else is gonna get it. And of course, everybody ends up flunking. Yes. And with these, in this case, People were starving to death. Right. And the Jamestown colony was a, a little more you know, difficult because of where they ended up landing. But it was hard work. I mean, I mean, fa- whole families ended up you know, dying as a result of coming over here. I mean, they really didn't know what they were going to encounter. The Mayflower uh, a colony, uh, they were supposed to end up in Virginia. And because of the weather, they ended up in Massachusetts mm-hmm. and didn't have any idea what that was like. Right. So, um, yeah. Finally, the colonists turned to the, you know, turned to the Bible with all of this and said, look, you don't work, you don't eat. And unfortunately, we've lost that today. We've, we've got this, we have an entire welfare system where literally tens of millions of people can, don't work. And they, right. they, get, they get paid anyway. Mm-hmm. And a time comes when a nation begins to realize it's just not worth working the way I'm working when the government comes in and takes out 20, 30, or 40% of my, of my wages in order to, you know, to, to, pay, to pay for all this. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a time in the, in, in the United States where we didn't have an income tax. Right. Now, prior to the income, income tax, we were doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then you, you had the uh, so-called robber barons you know, come along and say, well, what we need to do We'll, we'll start an income tax, but that income tax will be very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a, on a, uh, and as a result of that, the only people who really pay it will be the really, really rich people. Well, how long did that last? Yeah. Because we kept, because of inflation, because the government comes in and, and inflates, that is just adding, adding money to the, uh, fake money to the, to the economy, decreases the value of, of the money. And so what ends up happening, people have to, they, we gotta get paid more because now money's worth less and less and less. And so we are, you know, today we're being taxed, some people are being taxed in, you know, 30, 35%. Well, the original income tax, people who voted for it thought only the really super rich people were going to have to pay it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was the same thing in the colonies. There were some people who felt it was okay to live off the, the work of other people, offer the productivity of other people. And back then, many of them 
you know, many of these people would, would starve to death. Today, we have, the, we have the, the welfare system that comes in and we just print money, continue to value money, and we end up people now dependent upon the, on the, on the, the government in order to subsist in our nation today. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we just have to remind everyone that it's by saying depending upon the government, you're really depending upon everyone else that is working. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. really I mean, what it boils it, down it, to. It, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, today uh, we're here in, in the Georgia area and um, we're outside of Atlanta. The biggest problem we're, we're facing today is you go into a lot of these stores and they don't, people won't, they can't, they won't go in there to work. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is because a lot of the, what they're getting in terms of welfare pays them more than what they can make, you know, per, per hour. Mm-hmm. And so people come along and say, well, we need to pay, we need to pay more per hour in order to do this. And so you end up paying them more per hour. And then what happens is, is now the people who are making about what now the minimum wage is, they say, well, we're not minimum wage employees anymore. We want to pay more than that. And it just keeps going up and up and mm-hmm. up and up and up. And one of the problems is, is the reason we're in the financial fix we are today is number one, government programs, and number two, inflation. Inflation isn't higher prices. Uh, in- inflation is adding to the money supply when it's really not money. Mm-hmm. At, least the, at least those who were digging for gold were digging for real money. Right. You, no one digs for, well, very few people dig for gold today. We, we get paper money in digits and the government comes in and now we're in like $32 trillion in debt. It's devaluing our money. Can't buy houses. We can't hire people and so forth. So this all goes back to a biblical idea. The biblical idea. The Constitution of the United States makes it clear that states had to pay their debts in gold and silver. Mm-hmm. And we had in our nation gold and silver. Government comes along under the Roosevelt administration, what ends up happening? Turn in all your gold, turn in all your gold. Why to do that? So they could inflate. Mm-hmm. And we used to have silver up until 1963. But now none of our, the only, the only le- legitimate um, piece of coinage we have today that still hasn't been debased is probably the penny made out of copper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of these principles are biblical principles. Uh, the, the book of Isaiah talks about, I think it's Isaiah chapter 1. Your silver has become dross and your wine diluted with water. Mm-hmm. That's what our government does today. Right. And it's, it's destroying our nation. There's going to be a tipping point with all this. And so our founders understood these basic principles. That's why they established gold and silver, biblical ideas, Put it into the Constitution and made it part of our monetary system. Mm-hmm. Well, and that so I'm really curious. I, I can't. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here because this is a two-parter. Um, but you, you all, right after this, you said that we're preoccupied with digging for gold. There was no talk, no hope, no work, but dig gold, refine gold, load gold. Um, and then one colonist remembered, then by what was understood by them to be the absolute providence of God, the indigenous people around Jamestown brought food for them. So I guess uh, the sickness and everything had made this colony reduced pretty small to about a sure, 50, yes. right? And so, and, and John Smith is here at this time. The, I guess the gentlemen that were out digging for gold and only focusing on gold, things had gotten pretty bad. And I guess the indigenous people noticed this. I don't, I don't know how this all came about, but they helped them. They did, yeah. The same, same thing in the uh, Massachusetts Bay area as well. Right. A lot of some of the farming techniques uh, that, the, that the Native Americans had used 
taught the colonists. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, for, for one of the examples was you, know, you plant corn and you put a piece of uh, fish in with a coin as a, a, a coin, a corn as a fertilizer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the Native Americans at that particular period of time knew how to live off the land. That was the only way to live. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these, a lot of the colonists came over over here really weren't you know, farmers in, the, in, in, in that sense. Many of them were tradesmen. Maybe they could build a house and so forth. But farming was, was, was you know, very, very difficult for, for many of them because they didn't have the techniques in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So this is another, I think, myth we find among that the, there were uh, Native Americans uh, and the colonists who did, in fact, get along. Mm -hmm. And there were some Native Americans that did not because they're the... Just like you know, today, uh, the, there was no single Native American uh, tribe. They they were they warred against one another as well. Um, so yes, uh, early on, uh, one of the reasons that uh, the colonies were, were able to survive is because the Native American population came in and helped them out. Mm -hmm. Sure, and that that was to me. You know, I, I this is we're doing this for Thanksgiving. This is a series that we're doing at the Thanksgiving time. And so uh, to hear that, you know, I've heard so many stories, much like you said, um, Columbus, you know, went around to discover that the world was, you know, was round instead of being flat. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of people today that are uh, like, for instance, they talk about Israel and Hamas and Palestine and what's going on and how uh, as America, how we rooted a lot of, you know, the native Americans out of their land and how, um, and, and I just wanted to point out that early on that, you know, it wasn't just, um, the white people that were just taking out, you know, there was, there was a lot of working together early on, right? Sure. Uh, yeah, there, there was. And, you know, look, again, we need, we need to be honest, uh, about this. Uh, there were, uh, you know, there were people who mistreated mm -hmm. the Indians at that, you know, what were called Indians at that time. Um, and that was wrong. Right. In, in biblical terms, that, that was wrong. It was wrong according to the Bible. Right. Yes, and we, exactly. And we, we, we kind of forget that. And it's, mm -hmm. there's another aspect to all of this, but it was, this was something that the colonists did not know, and that is disease. Right. Um, you know, in, in, in Europe, there was, you know, smallpox was prevalent in, in Europe at that time. And the people who survived developed an immunity to, to smallpox. And so they come over here, they meet with this, you know, Native American population that had no idea. The colonists and the Native Americans had no idea anything about, you know, the, the, the germ basis or viruses and so forth. This, you know, this was long before a microscope was, you know, was, was developed enough that anybody could know anything was going on. They mm -hmm. didn't understand any of that. And so when the colonists came, Many, many, many Native Americans were killed because of smallpox. smallpox. In fact, uh, the, the Indians were just were, were confused because it was called smallpox, mm -hmm. and it should have been called bigpox because it was devastating to the Native American population. Mm -hmm. But you can't blame can't blame the Europeans for that. They didn't know what that this was happening. Right. Uh, and there were there were even some who maintained, well, this was a kind of a good thing to get rid of this native population. My point in, in dealing with America's Christian history is to tell the whole story, all you know, good, bad, and the ugly. I think is important to do that. Mm -hmm. But we got we have to come back to it's not just the historical ideas that are important 
to us. It's what is the basis of what makes a civilization righteous. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn from the mistakes of the past. And if we're going to change the world in which we live, we've got to get back to those foundational principles. It's not enough just to study history and say, oh, they were Christians at that time and America was founded as a Christian nation and let's just go ahead forward with that. We need to find those operating biblical principles in order to make the changes that are necessary to go forward in time. Yeah, and I agree. I think this is a good place to end our first part. Uh, When we get into our second part, I want to talk about Oglethorpe in Georgia. I I think that was an interesting, he's an interesting man. And with what you just said about Christianity in our, you know, in our early phase in our nation, there were certain times when, biblically speaking, we were a Christian nation, but there were people who were taking us and doing things that were outside of our biblical principles, which shaped the way that our countries, for instance, slavery and Georgia, your state where you live in was a, was a big factor in that, but it wasn't when it first started. So I wanted to cover that in the second part. Well, what'd you think, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) I agree with literally everything that man has ever said. (laughs) Everyone knows I'm not joking (laughs) at all. No, honestly, um, one of the things that I found interesting in that book, guys, was that all of the charters for the colonies as well as states' constitutions, uh, and that's in like chapter two, chapter three of his book, mentions like a divine being or creator or whatever. And of course, he talks about the enlightenment. It is a slanted towards the Christian and uh, which you should expect from someone like Gary Damar. But I thought it was a very, a very good read. What did you think, Rick? Loved it. Yeah. Love hanging out with that guy. Very smart when it comes to U.S. history, Christian connection. He he really puts it really well together. Yeah. I mean, he, he said when he was here doing his his uh, testimony that he's a popularizer, right? That, yes. Like, that's really, he feels like that's what he does is that he just brings attention to things. That's yep. the things that he likes to do. And of course- Well, sometimes his questions get him into trouble. Yeah. Sometimes our <laughs> questions get him into trouble. He mentions that in the first episode. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. As you guys have heard, I'm sure you heard that. So Yeah. We, we kind of carry that as a moniker. That's a that's a flat. That's a little feather in our cap, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Ralph. What did you think? Did you did you enjoy being there? I did. I did. I'm actually in the process of reading that book. I've I've seen excerpts of it and written things by other people who, when someone says we're not a Christian country or that uh, we ought to take religion out of schools or out of here, out of there. You know, if you go back to all of the early founders and all of the early writings on it, everybody was the only time. The people that are trying to go against it, all they're doing is using a snippet. They'll take one sentence out of an entire letter. Most of these were letters that were written to, back and forth to people uh, or, or or things that they'd written, like the Declaration of Independence and, and, and whatnot. All of those people believed that this was a Christian nation founded on Christian principles, all all cir- focusing and, and and circling, you know, God in that, and you know, just because they wrote one sentence, uh, that sentence pertained usually to something else. Uh, well, and it's like even like Gary Demar said, you know, people like Thomas Jefferson, it wasn't guaranteed that he was a Christian. Ben Franklin, it wasn't guaranteed that he was a Christian, but they were of that duality of the Enlightenment, where you had the non-religious and the religious, and so they saw as we get into you know, talking about France and the French Revolution and um, that idea that you have this enlightenment, but it's in relationship to a divine creator, which I really liked. I thought he was, I thought he was being fair. And at least the things he cited in every chapter, guys, there's like 30 to 35 sites where he's referencing other things. So 
he's done his homework. We give, we, you got to give him that, you know? And so, and it is, you know, that bit, but I really appreciated that work. And it, it is, again, it's titled A Case For, and that's what he's, that's what that book was for. And I think that he, he set out to do his job and he did it. I really enjoy that book. But so that's, that's part one guys. And so on Thanksgiving day, I hope that you will hear if you're driving to visit your family and you're eating some turkey and yep. some pumpkin pie and all that other good stuff. Hopefully it encourages you to, to study a little bit more about your, uh, the founding fathers. A little yeah. Bit. Because well, I wasn't there, but did he mention the Mayflower, Mayflower Compact? He did. Yep, and how sure. that was a covenant that they made with God before they departed the ship. I mean, I just think that's so powerful. Yeah, yeah, he did, and and he I goes. Hated in, I didn't get to go. Uh, yeah, I understand. He he goes into detail, you know, about the founding of Jamestown, um, and then of course, you know, the Mayflower Compact, and um, yeah, he, he he's done a lot of work, and he, you know, in the later chapters of his book, he gets into like the Supreme Court. Like I never knew that there was a case. Of in a Supreme Court where it was, you know, the like the Holy Trinity versus the United States of America. Have you ever heard of that case? No, it was wild. He's probably forgot more U.S. The Church of the Holy Trinity versus the United States of America, something like that. Anyway, interesting. I'm reading one on the Supreme Court and the Jubilee. Oh, really? And the concept of Jubilee. It's very interesting. Huh, man. And how the 70s, 70s, or yeah. 1770s. 70 weeks. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, the year of Jubilee. Yes. And how it, how it. Our Supreme Court has something to do with that? Just cases of the Supreme Court that go from Jubilee to Jubilee. Oh, oh, the ones that fall on the Jubilee? Uh huh. It's really kind of. I read in the bathtub, I was like, dang, I'm. mm." (laughs) Wow. It's interesting. as the scholars that we are, and we talk so much about the Bible, and anybody that's listened to us, as much as we try to not only include uh, Bible history, we try to involve the world history during that period of time. Mm-hmm. And we've got so much that we've studied on it and so much we bring to the table. But it, right now, that there's none of that that we do today. Yeah. We never review, you know, sort of the... Um, what the history is today or how that may play in, which you bring up a good point. Is there any way to to sort of do the analytics of following into that? Mm. You know, God is always involved in everything that we do, and there's always a pattern to what he does. We can see that historically through the Bible. We can see that historically through Old Testament, New Testament, and even in our lives at times, we can see where God plays a role in it. But the fun part for me is finding the analytical numbers that we can start to match up certain things to where we see a pattern mm-hmm. yeah. and how do they fall apart. That would be pretty kind of cool. And it takes a nerd to do that because I there's no way I would have thought to go, exactly. oh, really? It, it, it does take, that was 50? Okay. <laughs> it takes yeah. a lot of time. He, yeah. I mean, just uh, just the fact is that he did his he did his work. No offense, Gary. No, but one of the things that Mr. DeMar always says, show your work. Yeah, oh, he, yeah. He says that about everything and he yeah. does that. He does show his work. And again, you know, he he also he is fair. He is fair in that by saying, "Look, not all of these founding fathers were Christians. They just acknowledged that the Creator is important as a third party advocate for a nation. It was just it, it worked had a major, better. Had a major role in everything in it the did. creation of our every the, single state constitution has it. Yes. And I thought, oh well, maybe just a few, but no, no. all of them. And yes. I was like, oh, okay, well that's interesting. Now we may have gotten that doesn't make it Christian, by the way. No. It does not. It does not. They had arguments about that because they didn't think that it said enough about Jesus Christ in it, and they shot it down, right? So yeah. they didn't go that far. Right. So by saying right, because that— Because that, that, that starts stepping on freedom of religion. 
It does. Yeah. Freedom Not, from religion. Yeah, freedom, yeah, freedom from freedom religion. Freedom of religion. Well, freedom, freedom to practice from. the religion that you choose. It's yeah. freedom from a state religion is what is written in the Which Constitution. Which is what they were trying to escape, right. From, D- is it this episode that he talks about that? About the separation? Yeah. And how it how we miscontextualize that, what that means? Mm-hmm. That basically that, again, and I may be repeating this for the listeners, is that they're not that the government can't impede on that mm-hmm. and can't make rules to stop that. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Enjoy. Um, I know that I'm going to enjoy some stuff and muffins, a whole pan all to myself. Am I not? You are. <laughs> Who's making that? That would be Sarita. Oh, yes. I've yes, earned Sarita's infamous Thanksgiving dish. It is. And uh, I can't remember what I did, but I earned a full pan all by myself. What did I do? You remember? You wouldn't let me pay for part of the van to go to New York. Bam. And I get a whole pan out of myself, so suck on that one. Well, Bam. Don't, but whatever. Anyway, yeah. Rick, I'm bringing for- some for everybody, but uh, he gets his own pan yeah. to take home. Hey, thanks, That's exactly Thanks right. for letting me go. That was great. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. I enjoyed getting – it was really nice of him to allow us to go in his house. And his wife keeps a very, very oh, clean, it, nice It's almost like house. a museum. Oh, I was – Jealous. Yeah. Uh, no offense to my wife, whom I love very, very much. <laughs> I, we I'm keep, sure. and, we, and we have a clean house. This is the house that doesn't have children living in it. So, <laughs> well, they, well, we do. We, we keep, I mean, obviously you live with a slob. It's, your, it's not your fault. <laughs> anyway, that was my wife that I was talking to, by the way. Anyway, Rick, thanks for being here. Yeah. Sarita, Andy. You yep. yep. Thanks for being here. Ralph, Holly. Yes. You guys, I hope you guys are ready to start traveling. Thanksgiving is a week away. Talk to you guys again next week on Thanksgiving Day. Yay! Peace out. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.